0: That's right, General Quarters, and this is Battleground, and today is Friday, uh, um, uh, September the 4th. I was about about to take us back to August, September the 4th, and it's Law Enforcement Friday. We have our uh, regular guest and law enforcement expert, Robert Arce. Welcome to Battleground. Thanks for being here every Friday, man. We appreciate you.
1: Thanks for having me on, Ivan. Hey, buddy. um, Dude,
0: you know, first of all, A couple of things I wanted you to address. Um, First, a comment is we saw starting Sunday how the media, all the Democrats, all their surrogates were aligned on the talking points that this is Trump's riots and Democrats are against the riots and they challenged the president to to condone the riots, and I'm sitting there going, are these guys seriously trying to gaslight the American people after they've been uh, encouraging riots, arson, looting, assault, and murder for three months? I mean, it's it's absurd, man, it's ridiculous. There are tweets from Kamala Harris saying, donate here so we can bail these rioters out. Um, I find it so amazing you know that that they actually have the, the audacity to do that and to think that that the american people are going to fall for it maybe there are maybe democrats really are fucking lunatics you know i don't know it's 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 amazing man i i just don't get it man i just don't get it you've been in law enforcement you've been dealing with criminals and with and definitely with with nutbags i mean are democrats idiots are they are they insane i don't i don't know what's going on robert help us out bro <laughs>
1: I was like, you're, you know, I'm, I was watching these, reading these, uh, the tweets and reading the talking points on the Sunday shows, and I'm sitting there thinking to myself, you got to be kidding me. And it, it goes back to as being a cop when we used to feel that sometimes we had uh, policies or or these activists that were fighting, you know, at one point they're screaming at us that they want their neighborhood safe, yeah. but then we arrest the wrong person, which was pretty much anybody, then they're they're uh, they're demanding us to let them go. So we felt, in a way, what they're saying, we're gonna throw them in the one, we're gonna throw them in the patrol car, and they're letting them out the other door. Is what they're doing with Kamala advertising the donate this money so we can bail out these people. I mean, they're these people, they're not gonna go out and get a job. A lot of them are being re-arrested multiple times or being spotted. Guys that work those, those, those protests turn riots, they're watching. They have good intel on who's out there, and they, it's always a core group that, that are out there. So I think they depend on that citizen that sleepwalks through life and just not paying attention. That's it's what they depend be, right? on. It has to yeah. be something. Yeah, because suddenly now they're uh, – obviously they looked at the polls, and even Don Lemon was talking about this is hurting them. I mean, and I think I've I've mentioned to some of my friends on Twitter and even friends when I go to the Cigar Lounge, it's like, how do they think this could, you know, what they were doing before is a winning strategy. And eventually they had to realize that this is, it's, it's killing them because nobody wants to see the unrest in the cities and the burning and looting of property and everything else. And they're, all they're trying to do is they're trying to drag Joe across the finish line. They're trying to do anything they can do just to drag him across the finish line.
0: Yeah, it's like dragging, dragging a corpse at this point, man. It yes. is, I mean, he's worse than Weekend a Bernie's. I mean, yeah, yes. it's ridiculous. But, um, hey, something that came up. Um, I know you did uh, Donia's show last week, and you touched on something that was just the best explanation I've heard anywhere by anybody on any show, any – any presser anywhere was well this guy got shot in the back seven times
1: yep and,
0: and that seems to be the thing is like they shot him in the back they shot him in the back well the son of a bitch was reaching into his car to grab a weapon right you know he, he just raped a woman he you know he assaulted a woman um stole her car had didn't they have warrants for his arrest too
1: yes he had warrants for his arrest there, it wasn't like they were just driving through the neighborhood and decided, hey, there's, there's a black guy. Let's go mess with him. Yeah, they let's go called. shoot him in the back. Oh, yeah, oh look, there's a black back. guy there. Let's go shoot him in the back. Yes, oh. yes. <laughs> and, and it's uh, – you know, you always hear in the media, they'll say unarmed, you know, somebody that's unarmed, they always throw in the race if it's the race that they're looking to blame uh, the racial tension. But they always mention unarmed, shot in the back – Uh, stuff like this. Well, I mentioned on Donnie's uh, show, I have a, a, when I joined the PD, a very good friend of mine that I went to high, we grew up together. We knew each other since high school. I joined the PD. He followed behind me just a little bit after a year. He got into the academy. We worked the street together. Uh, We worked undercover narcotics together. We're very good friends. I mean, we're like brothers. Well, he had an incident where he went to a call And there's a uh, there's a suspect that there's a report that he's armed, but they don't see a firearm on him initially. And he was wearing a jacket. He sees the police. He starts running. The officers start chasing him. And in the dark, as my buddy Saul is about to catch him, turns out he had a sawed off shotgun in his jacket, pulls out the shotgun and blindly shoots over his shoulder with his back towards the officer and hits Saul in the face. The only reason Saul's alive was it was birdshot, because a lot of these guys that get these rifles, they get them in, in residential burglaries. They don't know what type of load is in that rifle. Saul took a direct shot to the face with birdshot at a close range. And his partner, as as Saul sees the gun come out, he raises up his, as he was in the shooting position, luckily some of that shot hit his arm. So stopped it from hitting his face but he took a good, a good shot to the face and it dropped him. They, killed, they returned fire and killed him. They shot him in the back because he was running. He's firing at them. Uh, there's, you cannot see the weapon. Uh, and it, there's this belief that they think that we have to, one, see the weapon. They have to point it at us. And, and in some cases, fire at us. And uh, once they have that weapon, Oh, and the other, the other, I think, the misconception also is that there's... Um, you shoot... Why do they shoot them seven times? If, if you know anything about... Read anything up about our, our, our what our brave men and women, our soldiers in the military, uh, there's a school here in Phoenix uh, named Silvestre Herrera. Out of a, a Medal of Honor winner in World War II, Silvestre is... From you know, born in Mexico, raised here in the states, went fought the war. He stepped on a landmine, lost both his legs. He tourniquet, put a tourniquet on both his stubs, and continued fighting and crawled and was able to take prisoners, missing both his legs. There's read uh, uh, there's many of these soldiers when you read they they've shot multiple times. Just because if people think that in the movies or in TV, you see somebody yeah. take a shot from, you know, a, one gunshot sends them into the meat counter like when Dirty Harry would shoot someone. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's when you get shot, it, you do not stop until you bleed out. Um, yeah. I mentioned also on Donya is a, a good friend of mine that I worked gangs with. He was on a fugitive task force. And this is right before I left to Mexico. And- hey, ro- hey, Robert, can you get closer to the mic, please? <laughs> You hear me now, yeah, yeah, perfect. Okay, well, well, what had happened was that with uh, a, a good buddy of mine, uh, Johnny Hans, was in we weren't gangs together, yeah. He went out on a uh, they were looking for a fugitive, the shift was over, he had taken off his body armor. They got a tip that hey, he might be over at his mom's house, and they rushed over there, and lo and behold, he was there. Johnny didn't have enough time to put on his body armor, they were gonna stage and watch him, but the, the, the suspect. Gets in a, in a car and takes off. He realizes he's being followed. Uh, he jumps out, bails out in the intersection. He runs behind some shrubs. And as Johnny's running up, the guy pops up with a three fifty seven. Johnny takes one right directly in the heart. Oof. Johnny drops to his a prone position with his rifle, returns fire, and kills the guy. Johnny was a dead man walking. He just hadn't bled out again because you have to bleed out until you lose consciousness. And the will to fight is very strong in, in, in us as humans. You know, everyone's going to react different. Yeah. Uh, they said later, Johnny was dead, but you know, his heart was still beating, he still had blood to be able to fight back. And he, he died on the way to the hospital. Wow. So when they say, Yo, why did you shoot him seven times? Why did you shoot him once? Well, we, we continue firing until we incapacitate them. And when they shot this uh, guy reaching into his truck, or with the van, you know, then, of course, the other argument, well, his children were in there. Well, I mean, that wasn't, the decision to go into this van was made by this guy, not the officers. That's right. And it's almost like if you're expecting that, well, you have to wait till he turns around and points a gun, and you're positive he's going to shoot at you, it's too late then. It, it's too late. And those decisions are made by, by, by these, these, these suspects that are reaching for a weapon. We, we have to go home at the end of our shift. That's our goal. Go home to our families at the end of our shift. And like with Saul, Saul my, my buddy who got shot in the face, he was out of work for, he couldn't come back to work for almost a year. He had, he had to deal with a lot of injuries on that. And to this day, uh, he retires this November. He has probably about 36 years on. He's still having issues with his neck because there's pellets that I think are in his neck area that were never able to be taken out and are causing a lot of pain and problems to this day. He was shot in 1994 wow. and he's still dealing with injuries from that. And this guy shot him as he's running away with his back towards the officers. So when you hear them say, when you hear this, this talk, or unarmed, unarmed doesn't mean you're not, you're not dangerous. I have fought unarmed people that were trying to take my gun away. If I would have shot them, the headline would have read, cop shoots unarmed defendant or unarmed suspect they were fighting me for my own gun so it's it's uh there's usually more to the headline than when you hear yeah why did they shoot him 10 times or why why did he shoot this unarmed man or 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 whatever
0: and it's also got to do with the caliber right i mean you can shoot somebody with a nine and they're gonna keep on coming
1: yeah the nine ammo now is a a lot better than it was back in our day because we had uh when i was a when i When we first switched over to the semi-automatic, we switched over to the nine, and our department was shooting a lot of people, and everybody was surviving. We switched over to the forty because people were—we could not stop people Uh, unless, you know, under stressful situations. It's not like you're shooting at a paper target, and people are going to shoot different. I mean, we've had guys on the PD. I remember guys that would go to the range and couldn't shoot worth a crap. But in stressful situations, we're putting shots downrange right in the 10 ring where the guys that were really good shots were missing. Yeah. So everyone, everyone responds differently under stress. Yeah. So we switched over to the 40, cal, And now the new ammo that's come out with the 9, I just think it has a lot more punch to it. I, I like the, uh, I mean, I have a 45, I have a 9, uh, I have the, the 40. And I like the 9 for being able to conceal it. And with the new ammo, I feel a lot better. But back in the day, I mean, we were, it was, we used to joke and say, we felt like we were firing warning shots at times.
0: Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Especially yeah. you get a big guy, you know, over yep. 300 pounds, mm-hmm. better, you're going to have to empty a magazine on that son of a bitch. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I've, I've always, I, I used to carry a nine when I was young, uh, my early twenties. Um, you know, I, I'm a 45 guy now, um, I think uh, with, 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 with the 45 and the right ammo, um, you know, no matter how big the person is, I think you double tap them. They're going down.
1: Right. Yeah. There there's, you know, with, with any, you know, it's all, it's all about shot placement. If you can get the shots in the right place. But I mean, I think people need to realize it's uh, now remember as a kid, whenever we're going to have a celebration, uh, my grandfather would go get a pig and, you know, anybody that's, raised on a ranch yeah. you stick the pig and the pig has to run around till he bleeds out right and unfortunately it's the same thing with a person yeah. you you get shot it's it's gonna you can get shot multiple times and as long as you still got blood flowing you can still fight you're still a dangerous person the one shooting i was involved in i was fighting a guy with a gun and it happened up close i have my hands on the handgun he's trying we're fighting over the it was his handgun and i yelled for another officer to shoot him it was summertime i i felt like i was gonna lose my grip i was pushing the gun away from my body so he didn't shoot me and uh, another officer came up put the gun right underneath his ribcage, cage underneath his armpit and squeezed off one round and because of the because of the adrenaline and tunnel vision that you all i did not hear the gunshot everybody else around said it was really loud i didn't hear it i I almost heard, like, just a puff, and I heard the guy, like, I I watched him grunt, like, kind of make a flinch. The guy kept fighting. He took a round, and he kept fighting, and finally was able to take the gun away from him. The autopsy showed that the round went through him, blew out his aorta, hit a rib on the other side, ricocheted, and lodged in his rear end. And But because his heart was still bleeding, he still had fight in him, which to me, it seemed like forever. It might have been 20, 30 seconds, fifteen seconds. Who knows? Till I could see his eyes rolling back as I was fighting his gun with, uh, taken away from him, and he died. He died right there.
0: Um, Holy crap, man! That must have been that must have been scary fighting somebody over a gun. That's, gun.
1: And, and like I said, the you know if people watch movies, they think the guy takes, gets one shot to the rib cage. No. You know, underneath the rib cage, there you get hit that's that's a fatal shot right there and it was a contact the The officer came up and squeezed off one round he didn't drop the guy was high on meth. Ugh. the guy was you know he was he was crazy you know and and all in my mind i was thinking is push the barrel away from my body right. i didn't have a vest on i was in an undercover unit oh, at the oh time. my god so uh so anyway the it, it took took enough time for him to and I, I'm telling you, I see it over and over. I saw his eyes rolling back, and I knew he was done. But he still had enough fight. What do you
0: think uh, – what, what, what should be the caliber of choice now? Because I know uh, – I, uh, I think Fed is using uh, 40s, right? And, and local yeah. PDs are, are kind of between a 40 and a 9, right?
1: Yeah, a Phoenix PD switched over. Initially, we went to semi-automatic. We did uh, – I remember when I joined the PD, we were all carrying around uh, six shot 38s. And then when I went to detective I had the little uh five shot 2 inch barrel with those little wood grips <laughs> and yeah. it's hard to shoot with those things well then uh they I switched over to a 357 yeah. and then from there they allowed us to go to the semi automatic and then I switched over to the uh uh the 6 hour the 9 yeah. Oh, really good. love that. I love that gun. And then uh that's a batch
0: then, weapon, man. The six yes, best, but expensive too, though, man.
1: Yeah, very expensive. And then we switched over to uh, the Glock. And then what they decided is that at one point you used to be able to carry, like there was various weapons we could carry, handguns, but they decided they wanted universal, everybody to carry the same one. In case if there's a shooting and somebody goes down, you need an extra magazine, you can pop right. a magazine off of somebody's belt. Uh, and pop it into yours, and you're ready to be- go back into the fight. So um, I like the 40, um, like I said, for for walking around. I like the 9 for concealed to have it concealed on me because it's just easier to conceal. Yeah. And like I said, I, I with the new ammo, uh, the new the new 9 ammo has just a lot more punch to it. Really. But um, yeah, the from and like I said, I'm not one of those guys. I, I talk to people that talk about. Uh, they know everything about every single ammo and everything yeah. else i 've done some research i know the uh the seals are carrying the nines now too and uh, but
0: the the, the the glock is a great weapon by the way I mean, yeah I, I, I like the glocks and for the money you can 't beat it either mm-hmm. um, And those things work no matter
1: where you toss them
0: right so yeah they're
1: they're they're easy to maintain and uh, i think they're, i mean they 're easy to easy to break down clean. What do you recommend
0: uh, as a weapon for for, for for a woman or a smaller person?
1: The I think there's some nines out there that are
0: that are uh, short, right? They're
1: short, yes, that are very compact. Uh,
0: but you wouldn't move from that caliber. It sounds. Yeah, like.
1: it just depends. If if like I said, I've I've seen some of the some of the women officers I work with can handle even the forty five. Yeah. Depending on how, how experienced they were. Yeah. Uh,
0: because yeah, a 45's got a big kick to it.
1: Yep. Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, but I enjoy the hell out of it though. You know. Right. I mean, it's a lot of fun shooting that and like a fifty cal or something like that. It's just a it's an experience that uh that everybody should have at least once.
1: Right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, when I was in Iraq, we used to get a lot of downtime. So with downtime we would uh I mean it's not like you can go into town and you know, go hang out somewhere. You should stay on a base. Right. So uh downtime we would just go shoot we, we had ranges there on on the base so we would go and we had a special forces uh, team there and they have the minigun mounted on the back of a truck yeah so if you go shoot at night with those tracer rounds it looks like you're shooting fire it was awesome
0: shooting oh, with the tracer, tracer rounds <laughs>
1: yes, yes. <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> and, and we've been shooting at like we had there was like some some tumbleweeds or something back there and sometimes the target would catch fire and it was kind of nice it's a, it's a lot of fun. We got to shoot. I mean, we got we would shoot till our fingers are sore from reloading so much. So uh, it's it's a great time. Great time to go out and shoot.
0: That's awesome, man. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And we saw something that um that that I think is important to address. Um, um let, let's make them. Let's make a famous Enrique Acevedo, You know, uh, a a activist, an activist uh, hiding with with a press pass like uh, like that other guy, Jorge Ramos, right? Yes.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, you know, th- these guys are, are big time advocates for open borders and, you know, decriminalizing illegal aliens, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, hey, listen, man, you know, um, I have empathy. I'm compassionate with people as well, but you can't sit there and say that uh, breaking into a country is not a criminal act or, or something illegal. And and, uh, you know, you were commenting on a tweet. I know I responded. A bunch of people responded to his tweet um, that he was sitting there saying, you know, ICE is rounding up, you know, immigrants. I mean, that, that's that's dishonest.
1: Right, right. Rounding they're
0: just, up immigrants. Uh, no, they're, they're, they're going to pick up, you know, illegals who have warrants for them for their yes. arrest right yes i mean talk talk to us about that a little bit i know you know you've had that being on a border town you you must have run into that stuff all day long right
1: yes it's it's i'm telling you uh the the experiences especially if you're a spanish-speaking police officer you know from working the street as a as a cop i was we all start out on the street and i worked an area where if you didn't speak spanish uh you were, you were totally screwed because nobody spoke English in those neighborhoods. And there's uh, you start, you start, say you make a, uh, you do a search warrant later on when I got into narcotics and I was working street crimes, you hit a house with 12 people in it. You know, it's a dope house. They're selling dope out of there. You got 12 illegals, you know 10, 12 illegals in there. yeah Nobody has ID. Yep. One of my partners used to joke and says, I think there's a hole in the fence down South somewhere And there's a guy with a giant box handing out wallets with no ID in it, because nobody would have ID. So then, so so it's like as you're walking by, here's your wallet. There's no ID in there. Yeah. So, So what happens is that you go into this house and you have 12 people with in a dope house. Yeah. And they have that. I've been telling you. I mean, it's it's you can tell these are bad guys. Uh, the way they dress in the area they're in. So you would like. If we had had enough to to detain them, we would detain them, take them down in a bunch of cars, call a wagon, take them down to the police station, and every single one of them claimed they'd never been arrested before. Uh, And then this is a problem that happens with that, where you, when you have an illegal that gets arrested the very first time, the first time he ever gets arrested, that becomes his master name if there's no way of verifying who he actually is. His master name will be, you know, Jose Lopez Garcia, but nobody knows what his real name is because that, you're just, it's an honor system. There's no way that you can. Yeah. I mean, actually, how do you, how do you
0: verify that guy's? Yeah.
1: Yeah. You have no idea. So his master name in the, in the system is going to be Jose Lopez Garcia, but then you run Jose Lopez Garcia. There's so many. So then you, you do a check and also once you fingerprint him, all of a sudden bingo. Here comes a records clerk and goes, this guy has 23 aliases. He has 16 different birth dates. He's been deported eight times. He's been, and look at his rap sheet. And, and you start looking at this and you just say, how did this guy keep getting deported? I mean, um, do eventually, they, they eventually will, will throw him in jail for a while and they'll give him a suspended sentence, deport him. He's back the next day. And it's, I mean, I'm telling you, you to find people with 20, 30 aliases and we have no idea who they are. Well, then this is a problem. That guy gets killed. He gets found out, you know, he's tossed, he's been executed over some drug deal and you find him to us, really. He's, we call them Juan Dos because we have no idea who he is. Right. He's been giving us fake names his whole criminal career. Plus, when you look at their record, you see, he's been arrested in Phoenix. He's been arrested in in Georgia. He's been arrested in Oregon. He's he's been to more places in the U.S. than I've been, and he's here illegally. <laughs> so it, it's like, wait a minute. So as a homicide investigator, where do you start a homicide investigation if you don't even know who your victim is? Yeah. Because you 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 don't even know where to start. Who's his family? Who you know? You just find some body tossed tossed in an alley, rolled in a blanket. And uh, it's where do you start? You know, uh, this happens over and over and over again. And then a one another funny story: I worked in an undercover unit where we were buying. We bought stolen property, so I would buy. My job was to pose as a a middleman for a fencing operations. So we would run. Uh, we had a fake body shop. We had a fake pawn shop. We had an apartment. We would rotate whatever deal. And my job is to go out and meet car thieves, burglars, people that are selling stolen guns. So it's because I speak Spanish. I work primarily those, the the Spanish speaking community, because since I'm from Phoenix, I didn't want to run into someone I went to high school with that is a US citizen. So I work the illegal alien community, the criminals on that side. So I have a guy that's bringing me stolen vehicles. He's stealing a car. He calls me, Hey, Jose Luis, you know, I got a car. All right, bring it to me. Well, my job is to try to get him to keep bringing me his buddies. Now, he's out of buddies to bring me, so we don't need 12 cars off this guy. You know, we have enough. Let's take him off. He's being a pain in my ass. So when he calls me, he says, hey, I got a car. I tell him, why don't you meet me at the Circle K at, you know, this location, and I'll meet you there. And I don't want to buy that car, so I call SWAT, and SWAT in plain clothes – When he pulls up in a stolen car, they jump him. So they arrest him. He gets to jail. He calls me collect from jail. Jose Luis, good thing you didn't show up. The cops were everywhere. Oh man, yeah, I drove by. saw that you were out there, just kept on going. So they deport him. They don't even prosecute him, they deport him. And he calls me from Nogales and says, at that time, it was easy to jump the fence. Not now, they got a good fence down there. But he says, I just hopped the fence and I'm in Nogales, Arizona. I just stole a car, I'm on my way, I'll call you when I get there. Wow. So this so okay. So he shows up, he calls me, and and I say, I tell him to meet me at the same circle K. And the idiot goes to the same circle K, the same SWAT guys jump up again. So he calls me to collect from jail and tells me, Are you a cop? I go, No, I'm not a cop. He goes, the cops must be watching that place because then you arrested me again. I was like, no kidding. Yeah. I was like, yeah, I was late. You were you were gone when I showed up. So this time they keep him maybe a month. They deport him again. No. He does the same thing. Hops a fence, calls me from Nogales, Arizona, says, I just stole a car. I really need money. He shows it to Phoenix. And I'm thinking, I wonder if he's that stupid. I told him to meet me at the same Circle K. He says, no way. The cops will watch you at that place. I said, well, why don't you meet me at the 7-Eleven across the street? This guy had not even hit the brakes and he's jumped again by the same SWAT team. <laughs> so, <laughs> so he calls me, collect again from jail. And he starts cussing me out and says, I know you're a cop, blah, blah, blah. And I said, you got me. And I hung up on him. I never heard from him again. I had a call uh, back then. It was immigration. I said, you need to put a hold on this guy. This guy is just, you guys are deporting him. He hops a fence and he's back the very same day. This is how easy, now it's harder now because they've, they' put some sections of fencing, but if you're determined to come to the United States, I mean, if they catch you, so what? now, if you're caught multiple times, they're going to do you for illegal reentry and make you know for but they can't do that for everybody. There's only so much room in these prisons, so they only do it for special people, and this guy they made us they made him a special person and did him for the illegal reentry yeah. but us at work the, the, that type of the community on um, the criminal community. You have illegals with 20, 30 aliases with page after page after page of criminal complaints. Well, then a lot of people will say, oh, it's a drug offense. It's nonviolent. Well, what do you? how do you think he gets his drugs? He's either selling or he's out doing burglaries or he's jacking people. Uh, they're doing violent crimes to support their drug habit because most of these guys that we were buying stolen cars from, they were all... Hardcore back then, either crack, uh, heroin, or meth addicts, and they cannot work. They're not working the fields. They're not doing typical uh, work that that community will do. You know, working the resorts, busing tables. They become full-time addicts. They're living in our city and they're committing crime. Maybe selling a little dope on the side to supplement their drug habit. But once you become an addict, that's what you have. And all these guys now are being deported. You know, A lot of them are being deported. So what do they do? They're, they're congregating in Tijuana. They're in Ciudad Juarez. They're in Nogales. And if you look at, I just did a tweet out the other day. Uh, in Tijuana, they've had I think 1,500, 1,600 homicides this year already. In, in Juarez, I think they're up to about 1,300, 1,200 homicides. Mexico has a drug abuse problem now. They used to be A export nation, they're also a user nation now, and because this is a meth, it's all this meth that these super drug labs that are being they're producing meth, and the Mexican drug cartels figured out, hey, we have a market here too. They have so many addicts, and when you got addicts, they can't work. They're gonna they're gonna be engaging in violent activity to support that drug habit, or they're gonna be hired on as as sicarios or or Alcones uh, lookouts for these cartels, and these are the guys that are getting slaughtered in these border cities, Tijuana, uh, Ciudad Juarez, where it's, it's out of control. But we have them in Phoenix, too. They're in Phoenix. They're all over the U.S. In every major city that you have, uh, they're operating where uh, they're, they're, they're being the foot soldiers, the distributors, or whatever they need for these cartels that are operating in the U.S.,
0: that's amazing, dude. And uh, and when and people when when people were criticizing the president about you know the wall is not going to do anything, the wall is not going to do anything. Um, I, I hear from so many people that you know have been to the border, that that get the border, that, that you know understand what it looks like, feels like. Um, say, you know, this is absolute crap because of course it's going to help. It's going to help a awesome. lot, and. Um, <laughs> I mean you've been there. Uh like you said, they jumped the fence. They huh.
1: jumped the fence. There's areas that there's not even a fence. It's like a little uh uh there's areas in southern Arizona, it's just I mean, you could just step right over it. It's it's
0: it's just water, right?
1: Yeah, well, yeah, that's in Texas. But here in Arizona, there's areas in the desert. We went out I went out there with uh we went out with uh Judicial Watch and Sarah Carter from Fox News was with us. We met with some ranchers. That these ranchers are afraid to go out at night. Their properties butt up against uh, the Mexican border. Yep. And of course, they they don't go out at night because there's there's uh, human smugglers coming through their property. Uh, armed human smugglers coming through their property. They're leaving trash everywhere, uh, and they're sometimes looking for water or whatever. But it's it's they're he says we we if we don't nail something down in our property it's gone by morning cuz they'll take whatever they can and and if, when we went down to the fence there's some area there that it just looks like it's you set up to try to prevent cars from coming across but as a person you could just step right over it i mean there's long stretches you could just step right over these these little barriers that are about not even waist high maybe waist high is what they are but you could just scissor it just, step right over and you're, you're on the U.S. side. And there's no roads. It's hard to find roads out there. Um, you know, I'm telling you, Border Patrol has a work cut out for them, and they're out of yeah. the nowhere, That's no radio tough, coverage. Tough job, man. Yeah, a lot of areas, there's no... Uh, the radio uh, doesn't cover... Now, when you're talking about the wall, they'll say, the wall's not going to do anything. The majority, almost all of the drugs, are coming in through... Uh, they're coming through ports of entry. Correct. It's coming through ports of entry, but... The, the machine that fuels these drug operations, the foot soldiers are coming in through the unprotected border right. or the border that that's where they come through. They're coming through there. And whenever they need replacements, whenever they need help, here they come. It's a stampede. If, if you look south at times, you probably see the big dust cloud coming because here they come. It's a giant stampede coming. And uh, you got the Trojan the Trojan horse because you got a lot of people that are coming over here to so-called work, but in that group, I mentioned this in one of the prior shows. They may show up to start working at a restaurant or at a resort or landscaping or whatever, and eventually they say, "Screw this! I ain't doing this. I can make more money selling dope with my primo over here or my cousin, you know, my whatever." And next thing you know, they're 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 doing full-time dope business, and um, it's it's a huge problem. The wall would would slow down. Uh, make it more difficult for um uh, to feed that machine which is the foot soldiers that are yep. that help this operation move and,
0: and 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 it and it's a nightmare man i mean these uh these these border towns have got to have such problems and um you know these activist journalists man um they they i don't know if they don't get it or they just feel bad but look you know we all feel bad uh, yes and and you know but it's horrible you know the the argument that i make is what we need to do is we we need to stop this not just to protect ourselves but to protect the people that that are trying to come in yep. you know totally agree um mm-hmm. you know trying to get through you know those deserts barefoot no food no water how many people die in that process it's crazy and you know the trafficking of minors of women of um even um you know organ trafficking man how many people you know get set up by uh by coyotes and uh and then they get killed in in, in the desert and get their kidneys and and, and and other organs ripped out right i mean you can talk yeah. about that probably a lot better than i can but it's uh it's something um that isn't spoken about in in And I'm having a hard time understanding why that's not being addressed because it's a huge problem, and we know it is, and not just on the border, but all through Latin America. I mean, how many people have woken up, uh, you know, (laughs) missing a kidney or something, or or, you know, I mean, it's crazy stuff. Um,
1: The smugglers are brutal. They uh, at the tail end of my career, the Phoenix became this hot spot for the human smuggling activity that was going on and the phoenix had to pass a state law that mirrored the federal law for human smuggling allowing uh, other people besides ice to work this problem so i worked a case with uh, arizona dps we had ice help us out because they were they're the experts and uh, we did a wiretap on a human smuggling organization i had done wiretaps at that point nearly seven years and that wiretap was the busiest one I ever worked. That was the one that, after that case was over, we were just so busy, nonstop. That was the one that I think I woke up one day and I said, "I think I'm tapping out. I'm done. I can't do this no more." Being a Spanish speaker on a Spanish-speaking wire team, I I was so exhausted, but it was heartbreaking to hear these smugglers. They were talking in one phone conversation about. Uh, there was a group of smugglers that were moving people and there was someone that got sick because of the heat and they just abandoned them and they laughed about it. They were laughing about it on the, on this call. And we, we couldn't, so we, we notified uh, uh border patrol to a sector to see if they could find this person. They didn't find a person in time. The person died out there.
0: All right, bad. Uh, I
1: bet. Yeah. And, and to them, it's just, they're just like cattle. They're just moving cattle to them. They're, they joked about him that, you know, pobrecito, you know, hey, if if he can't keep up, he can't keep up. We're not going to slow the rest of the operation for one person. And they gave him, they said, uh, they gave him a jug of water and had him sit underneath a tree. Well, he died underneath that tree. Wow. And uh, it was, and, it was and, and there's no trees down there. They're like desert. They're they're like the desert, uh, probably like a Palo Verde or something. I don't know what it was down there, but yeah. they eventually found him and he was dead and wow. been dead for probably at least a day when they finally found
0: it. My God, man. That's yeah. horrible. Yeah. That is horrible stuff, man. That is horrible stuff. Hey, you know, well, I don't know if you saw the uh, the interview with Attorney General Barr uh, on CNN and with uh, with Will Blitzer, and he was talking about, you know, different things. And, you know, they're, they're trying to uh, trap him about, you know, uh, Trump saying vote twice and this and that, et cetera, et cetera. But one of the things that, uh, that I want to talk to you about was um, some people were saying, well, the only way the federal government can go in, you know, without the state's approval is invoking the Insurrection Act. And um, and A.G. Barr said that's not true because uh, federal federal officers have jurisdiction everywhere in the United States. Um, so they, they don't, they don't need, you know, permission or an invitation. I mean, that's, uh, I guess kind of courtesy that the, the mayor or the governor has asked for help and calling up the national guard, but you know, federal agents can go to any city in any part of the United States and, and, and detain and operate. I mean, that's correct. Right.
1: Yes. There's uh and I worked on, a as, as a Phoenix cop, I worked on, uh, with DEA task force, I worked with uh, FBI task force and ICE. So when you do that, you get deputized as, uh, with the marshals to oh, give you federal jurisdiction. So you can, so me working uh, a dope case in Phoenix, and we have a lead in, in Chicago, we have a lead in Boston, we have a lead in Texas, we just go. We go. We have jurisdiction because we've been deputized as federal agents. And I, when I hear that, I think you know, it's, they're going to do everything they can to fight to fight uh, anything that our president says to continue the unrest. They need this unrest. Like I said, they're they're going to do everything in their power to create a distraction, to get, uh, to drag, you know, uh, Joe across that finish line one way or another. And the, on the voter, you know, I hear this where they're talking about Wolf was saying, well, there's no proof of widespread uh, widespread uh, voter fraud. Well, it's like, well, we haven't tried this before. Yeah. And the other argument I hear is that well, illegal aliens would never vote, or people would not would never illegally vote. And I'll say this. Yeah. Uh, there was a sore point in my family. We have someone in our family. Now they're not here illegally. They're green card holders. They can't yeah. vote. Yeah. And we had a family member in our our family that's on the other side that we not only they voted, uh, we found out they voted and one of them, uh, they used her to introduce, when, during the last election at Civic Plaza, she introduced Hillary in Spanish and was part of this movement to get out and vote. She, was, she couldn't even vote. And on a positive note, uh, she started dating a, uh, a young man that's a conservative, and she's now on her side. Go so, ahead. and but she's, she's, now, a she's, she's now, now a U.S. citizen. She's now a U.S. citizen. Yes, she's been safe. She's a U.S. citizen now because she was a green card holder. Right. She was a green card holder at the time. And, but I, it was a sort point. We're like, wait a minute, you can't do that. That's and she, she was a national media darling for uh, – she right. got her minute of fame when she got to introduce uh, – well, at least, at least in, uh, on Univision, she introduced yeah. Hillary. Uh, and it was like, oh, my God, that was – we're not happy with that, but it's – you know, people say no, they would never vote illegally. Wait a minute. Okay. They come into our country legally, they apply for section eight, yeah. they get food stamps, um uh, Medicaid, pre-medical, yes, they do all this, but oh hell no, they would never vote. Oh hell no, they would <laughs> never do that. They gotta they gotta draw the line somewhere. Are you kidding me? It's like <laughs> it's
0: amazing, dude. It is amazing yeah it's crazy, brother, but you know let's see what happens i mean how do you how do you- th- do you think there are law enforcement officers in Portland and these cities where there's unrest is that are f- supportive of of these riots
1: now you know this is what i'll say here as as a cop that i worked uh uh you know came up the ranks as a, as a patrol officer and then very fortunate very very fortunate to work, some of them, probably the most elite investigative units on the Phoenix PD and all my buddies. I went the investigation side and some of my buddies wanted to go straight, you know, wanted to do the SWAT stuff. You get guys that work in the most high-risk assignments. They all are, like, you know, very conservative. But I always say your your views are shaped by the way, by how you see, the lens you see life through. The lens you see life through is going to shape you. And All my friends, I have a couple of uh, uh, WhatsApp or message groups where there's 20 of us in one group, and we all work gangs. We all work narcs, SWAT. We're all the same. We can't even find anyone in in that group because I think when you're in these high-risk groups, I mean, I'm sitting there thinking. Now, occasionally, we'll run into a guy that thinks like the other – that thinks what's going on in Portland is good. I know one guy that's like that, but he left the department probably after 10 years. He thinks everybody was a racist. He's just the biggest social justice warrior you could ever talk to. And you know what? I like the guy personally, but I just can't talk politics with him. He's just absolutely lost his mind. It's as as if he was never a cop, but he always, uh, as soon as he got off his three years of probation, he went straight to desk jobs you know, he was a, he was a, he was a, a paper pusher, uh, or what we call a bean counter. He was a bean yeah. counter. He, yeah. he didn't work the street. So, obviously, his, his views are shaped different. Yeah. And, but the guys that work the street, I, I would say, I mean, I think you would be hard-pressed finding uh, someone that actually thinks that would support that. I, as, 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 actually, I think what's happening, they are wishing that they are unleashed so they could bring order back to their city. that's what i I was
0: wondering too i was like they gotta feel like you know take the handcuffs off we're gonna put this down right
1: yes you you need to let us you know unleash us we will we will bring we will restore order in the city and they're just they got the misfortune of having these horrible politicians and uh they're who are willing to see their city burn
0: yeah such a shame man yeah hey robert R. say the man the myth the legend you're a stud brother. I appreciate <laughs> you joining us every Friday, man. And, uh, and, and, giving us your perspective from a law enforcement point of view. So, so people get it, you know, because you get so many people out there in the media just talking crap and, and pushing stories that aren't even real, that have not, nothing, even close to reality. And, and it's so important to hear it directly from somebody that, you know, like you said, has, uh, has worked just about every gamut. I mean, geez, you know, from a beat cop to, uh, Narcotics, a homicide to, you know, task force with DEA, the stuff, you know, abroad in other countries and, oh. you know, uh, human trafficking and Haiti and Bosnia. I mean, geez, uh, <clears throat> you've seen and done it all, bro. So, you know, uh, thank you for your service as usual, man.
1: Thank you. It's been a pleasure as always.
0: Absolutely, man. And have a great weekend and everybody enjoy your weekend. We're out. It's Friday. Go have a cocktail.